Well, we live uh, in a world where you get some, certainly some confusing news sometimes. You live in a world where all we can say is follow the Boy Scout motto and be prepared for anything, right? And uh, keep your finances in order, keep your car gassed up, keep an extra loaf of bread in the pantry and be ready for anything because you never know what is going to be coming along except one thing you know this Jesus is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords can you say amen to that and if you put your trust in anything else or too much trust in anything else or anyone else you're always going to be let down and disappointed but if you put your trust in Christ the Bible tells us that those who trust in him shall never be put to shame. He's going to fulfill everything that he has promised. And so we've got to remember that. So during these times when uh, we're a little bit uncertain, boy, that deal at the Capitol the other day was a mess, wasn't it? And uh, I think about those kind of things and think about some of the riots that took place, things that just don't make any sense at all. And then I remember the Bible tells us, in the latter days, perilous times shall come. Now, I don't know how much worse they have to get, but I would define where we live right now as perilous times, wouldn't you? And so, uh, as you see these things happening, and even as they began to get worse, keep looking up and look toward that eastern sky, because our Lord is on his way back and we know one thing we're closer than we've ever been before and we're seeing the signs so keep looking up and keep trusting him and as you uh, do that pray for one another minister to one another encourage one another I think one of the things that is kind of happening right now social distancing and all of that it's kind of pulled us a little bit apart and so we've got to find different ways, creative ways to uh, connect and stay together. And people are hurting and people are longing for uh, touch. Don't you just kind of, uh, every once in a while, you wish you could just give somebody a hug. And uh, you, you can't. You freak them out, for one thing. And it uh, might not be the best thing for you either. But uh, people need that. And so... Uh, We've got to find ways to try to reach out to them. And um, we've got some things that we want you to pray about this morning. And the first thing is, you have prayer needs. You have things in your life that you need uh, people to pray for. Please don't hesitate to call the office and ask to be put on the prayer list. Um, one of the things that if you put something on social media... Maybe we see it, maybe we don't. There are, you know, times when we look diligently and other times when maybe something else has our attention. But if you call the office and if you talk to Lindsay or somebody at the office and ask to be put on the prayer list, uh, we'll make sure that that happens and we'll try to minister any way that we possibly can. And then um, as you think about uh, things like uh, old-fashioned cards and letters, those kind of things. 
where you actually write something out and address an envelope and put a stamp on it. Man, that means a lot to people when they get something and they see it written in your uh, handwriting. So many other things nowadays are so impersonal, but when people get that, it means a lot. Uh, hey, don't forget to do things like that and to try to reach out. And then just think about the convenience of sending a text, those kind of things. God's given us those. Let's take advantage of it. And let's try to reach out to other people or even a phone call, anything like that. Stay in touch with one another. And then above all, the Bible tells us that we are to pray for one another. Uh, pray for uh, Bethany and Chase Trench. That's some good news. They got a new baby. So praise the Lord for that, right? And uh, Chad and Michelle are awfully happy on all of that. And we're glad to, one of these days we'll meet little Brooklyn. And so uh, pray for them. Keep praying for Craig Maggot. He is holding his own and things are going along the way the doctors expect them to. But he's still got a long way to go to recover from COVID. He's still in ICU and still intubated. But pray for him and pray for Deborah and pray for the rest of the family. And then uh, some of you can remember uh, years ago, you remember Robert and Crystal Pineda. Robert passed away the other day from COVID. And so uh, they are devastated. And uh, Sammy and I took a meal to them and uh, prayed with them. And uh, we just need to lift them up uh, before the Lord. And you know what? They're not the only ones. There are other people. You probably got people in your neighborhood. You've got people that you know uh, from social media and others. Uh, just... People are going through a lot of things. And it's not just the normal stuff that gets our attention. Everything else in life is going on just like it did a year ago. Just like it did. Just with the addition of all of this stuff. People are hurting. Now, one of the things that I know is when there are times of turmoil and times of confusion and times when people don't understand what's going on, your witness for Christ and testimony shines brighter now than it ever has. So talk about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Encourage people with scripture. Pray for other people. And take advantage of those opportunities when people say, I don't understand what's going on. Man, there's an opening there you could drive a Mack truck through for the glory of God. So let's bow our heads. And let's close our eyes and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's ask him to bless our friends, our church members, our neighbors, our family members, wherever they need to be blessed, to heal wherever that needs to happen, to take care of people and give them peace, but above all, to spotlight Jesus and to allow us to witness for him and to lead people to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to see you baptize some people that you've been praying for. And I want to see the, uh, the church grow. And I want to see people's lives changed. And above all, I want to see Jesus Christ glorified in this lost and dark world. May Jesus' light shine brighter than ever before. Can you agree with that? Say amen. Then let's pray. Oh, Father, as we think about our friends and loved ones who are rejoicing 
We don't want to forget to rejoice with them. Thank you for the birth of little Brooklyn and thank you for Chase and Bethany and thank you for all of the Trench family and we pray, Lord, that uh, she would do well and they would do well and we pray that uh, she would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord and thank you. We rejoice with them. And we uh, thank you, Lord, for people through all of this pandemic that still have their health for people that have not gotten COVID, for people that have not been in the hospital, we forget to thank you for all of those things. We thank you for people that still have jobs. We thank you for people that still have money in the bank and gas in their tanks and all of those kind of things. We forget all of that. Thank you for blessing us in that. Thank you that here at the church we're still meeting, we're still gathering. Thank you that the lights are still on. And thank you that the word is still going forth. We praise you for all of that. Forgive us when we forget to do it. We pray, Father, for people that are grieving today. We pray for the Pineda family and ask you to bless them and to comfort them. We pray for people who need healing. And we uh, pray for... Craig Meggett and all of his family and we remember to pray for medical personnel and first responders and so many people that we take for granted protect them and bless them we think about all of the things going on in our government things that we like things that we don't like and yet we're still free to gather we're still free to speak out and we're still free to live our lives and we don't want to ever forget that and take that for granted thank you and we ask you to protect those freedoms. We pray, Lord, for our president, and we pray for Congress, and we pray for uh, our new president and new members of Congress, and we want to pray that somehow you would receive glory in all of this mess that's going on, and uh, we pray, Lord, for people that feel the need to riot and feel the need to burn things and feel the need to tear up things or steal things or even feel the need to storm the capital what in the world lord is going on with all of that and we want to ask you to bring truth and to bring justice and to bring righteousness to our land and we want to ask you to bless churches not just our church but other churches that preach the truth as well and we want to pray lord that there would be a resurgence a revival a spiritual awakening among our churches and among the people of God in the United States of America. And we pray that there would be people that would be saved through all of this. And we pray that there would be a spiritual awakening in our land. And we pray that you would receive the glory and the honor that you deserve. And let it begin here. And let it begin with us. And let us walk by faith and not by sight. And let us trust you. And let our firm foundation be the death, burial, and resurrection and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us stand on that and testify of that and believe that. And may we personally find peace in all of this. And we pray this. All in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now will you take your Bibles and turn, we're going back to Exodus this morning, and let's turn to the book of Exodus, and let's pick up a little bit with what uh, Moses is doing and what is happening here. We've seen him as uh, he has been through the 
time of delivering people from slavery and then going through the Red Sea and then going through times when there's no water and the people are wanting to stone him. Can you imagine and believe anything like that, that Moses prays at one point, the people are about to stone me? And uh, just shows us that human nature never changes. The pendulum swings back and forth politically and economically and all of those kind of things. And one day Moses is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then the next time they're ready to stone him. That's kind of the way things go. And nothing ever really settles in and uh, (coughs) stays exactly like you might want it to stay. And if we try to live our lives in a way where we never have to change, well, that's impossible. That doesn't happen. Things change, people change, society change, attitudes change, uh, morals seem to change, all of that kind of stuff. And um, so there are some things that we've got to remain rock solid on. Rock solid on. And then there are other things to where we're foolish. I kind of like meeting in church with air conditioning and indoor plumbing. My parents met in churches that had neither one of those. I think that that, for example, is a good change. And I think that there are other things that the Lord allows us to do. It's amazing now to think, I mentioned it before our prayer time, that you can actually text somebody and I mean instantaneously they get that message and it may be that you encourage them it may be that you remind them about something it may be that you share a scripture with them it may be that you just simply text them and say hey your church family is praying for you or I love you or something like that and you can change their whole day we ought to take advantage of that and use that to minister to other people well this is something that even back in the days of Moses there were some changes that needed to be made and this is one that um, is actually a change for the better And Moses is an old man. He's resistant toward change. And he's uh, doing everything the way that he wants to do it. And probably the best that he knows how. And then his father-in-law shows up. And his father-in-law has some advice for him. And Moses, to his credit, takes the advice. And I think that it turns out to be a great blessing. Let's read about it in uh, chapter 18 of Exodus And we'll start reading in verse uh, 13. And uh, we'll go down to verse 27. And it tells us in verse uh, 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God 
and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, now this is kind of an unexpected thing, I would imagine. The thing that you do is not good. Well, it sounded kind of good to me, and I'm sure to Moses. Moses wouldn't do it if he thought it was bad. The thing that you are doing is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. Jethro's thinking long term, isn't he? For this thing is too much for you. That's a big thing to say for Moses. He's like Superman, isn't he? The thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Now listen now to my voice. And I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people. That's prayer. And uh, uh, standing up for them and advocating for them. Why? So that you may bring the difficulties, the problems, the trials to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk or live and the work that they must do. And moreover, you shall select from all the people able men or competent men what is the definition of a competent man such as fear God men of truth hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands rulers of hundreds rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. In other words, set them over the people, subdivide them, put them in small groups, not massive groups. Verse 22. And let them judge the people at all times, and then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge or take care of or figure out. So it will be easier for you for they will, hear, uh, they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So what did Moses do? Give him credit. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men, <clears throat> competent men, out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And so they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses. But they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Well, interesting story. So Jethro shows up. Moses and Jethro talk about what God has done and how he has blessed Israel. And Jethro becomes a believer and blesses uh, Yahweh. And uh, then he watches Moses. 
And Moses stands before the people all day long, or sits before the people. And the people come up one by one like people coming before a judge. I've got this problem. I've got this problem with my neighbor. I've got this problem with my kids. I've got this problem with somebody else over here. And then Moses has to make a decision or make a ruling. That's what it means that he is judging in the case. Now, Moses does this all day long. And Jethro watches and Jethro is puzzled. And Jethro is thinking... What are you doing here? This is not efficient. This is not a good way to handle this situation. And so he offers his advice. Moses takes it. And apparently it seems to help the situation. And so uh, when you look at all of this and what is going on, Moses has made a change. And the change that was made wasn't forced upon him. The change wasn't something that he absolutely had to do. He had a choice in the matter. This was a change that came just simply by the powers of observation, the power of an outsider observing the situation and saying, what are you doing? The thing that you were doing is not good. And I find it a little bit ironic because the way Jethro asked it, what are you doing? And the way Moses answered I kind of get the idea that Moses was thinking that Jethro would go, wow, you're a great man of God. To spend all of that time standing there in front of the people or sitting there in front of the people and listening to all of their problems, the large as well as the small, the serious as well as the petty. Oh, what a great pastor you are, Moses. Oh, what a great shepherd you are to all of Israel. And yet he didn't say that. He said, The thing that you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. Now Moses apparently was handling it and handling it okay for the moment. At least he thought he was. And it appeared to be that way. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. The Bible doesn't give us much information about all of that. But Jethro is thinking, yeah, maybe it's working now. But is it going to work tomorrow? Is it going to work six months from now? Are you still going to be able to do this for the next 40 years? Well, then everything changes, doesn't it? And so when I think about what is going on here, I want to just make the observation that sometimes, sometimes having eyes, fresh eyes looking at something, having the eyes of Maybe someone who's not quite involved in it can be a good thing. You know, sometimes somebody joins a church and they ask us questions we haven't asked ourselves. Why do you do it this way? Why is so-and-so in charge of that? Why does this happen? And we look and we say, well, because we've always done it that way. Isn't that the way Baptist churches are supposed to operate? We've always done it this way. Well, why don't you do it like this? Well, because we've never done it that way. Somebody said that'll be the last words of the church. We never thought of that. We never did it that way before. And we get really, really rigid in the things that we're doing. Well, give Moses some credit, and this is something we need to learn from him. Sometimes God sends an outsider or someone who is is uh, maybe looking at things from a different perspective to kind of challenge us. 
Now, sometimes the questions solidify things. Someone asks a question, and you can tell them, this is what we do, this is what the Lord led, this is what the Bible says, and, and on and on we go. And all it does is make all of you go, oh, well, that's a good answer. And maybe the uh, outsider says, well, that's smart. You're doing a good job. That's a great way to do it. Sometimes it solidifies things. But sometimes it opens up the question of, well, why can't we do it a little bit different? Or why can't we update a little bit? Or why can't we find a more efficient way to do things? Why can't we involve more people? Why can't we do it the way that it has been suggested? And it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened. Well, that's what's going on here because we can benefit from fresh eyes. We need those kind of things, and that's exactly what Jethro provided. He looked at it, and he had a whole different perspective. Now, keep in mind, as Moses is doing this, he's probably thinking, these are the people that wanted to stone me. I don't want to make them angry. I don't want to stir them up. I want to give them all of my attention. But what books of the Bible did Moses write? Let's see, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You ever read through those books? That's a fair amount of writing to do. Now, if Moses is spending all of his time sitting on a judgment seat, hearing cases, and making rulings all day long from early morning until late evening, when is he going to have time to write Exodus? When is he going to have the opportunity to write Genesis? You see, I think what God is doing is taking Moses and saying, Moses, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing except that if you keep doing it this way, you're never going to be able to do what I want you to do. And I want you to write the first five books of the Bible. And you've got to have time to do this. And you can see now that with what Jethro said, divide the people up. And let some people, some cases, can be handled by one guy who is over 10 people. He's got his little group of people here. And uh, somebody says, I don't like what so-and-so did. And, and so he takes care of it. And Moses, you never have to know anything about it. If they can't handle it, take it up to the guy who's over 50. And let more people look at it and judge it. And you can go all the way up. And if you can't get everything settled, then the things can come before you. And Moses can function a little bit more maybe like the Supreme Court. And he can hear the big cases, but he's not tied up with all the petty things. Does it mean the petty things are not important? No, of course they are. That's why they have people who can take care of those things. But for the leader, for Moses, he's got to be free to do the other things that God wants him to do. And at this point, he's just not seeing it. And God uses a fresh set of eyes to ask a question that causes everything to change. Not for the worse, but the change is actually for the better. I've often wondered if maybe some things that are going to come out of this pandemic are actually going to change us for the better and not for the worse. That maybe there are some things 
that need to change and some things that will actually make us more efficient and more conscious, uh, more actively engaged in ministry, better witnesses, better able to share the gospel with others because we were so bogged down with some other things that we don't know why we did them. We just have always done them and we're comfortable doing all of those things. And perhaps the Lord is saying to all of us, hit the pause button and stop and think just a little bit this is a new day, it's a new era, and I want you to do some things in a new way for my glory and according to my word. Do I know that for sure? Not really, but we're learning and we're growing. Do you know that it's not? No, not really. All we can do is deal with what God has given us. All we can do is deal with the circumstances that we have and live in the times in which we live. And as we do that, we do it to the best of our ability to the glory of God. And sometimes God says there's a better way and change can be made for the better and it's going to be more efficient and it's going to bring glory and it's going to bring honor uh, unto me and unto uh, my name. That's why even the psalmist said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting because even the psalmist knew that if he looked at his heart, he's going to give himself a pass. He's not going to see everything that needs to change. He needs a fresh set of eyes. And what eyes is he looking for? The eyes of God. The eyes of the Holy Spirit to look upon his life. And I think in everything that we do, it always helps if we can get a fresh perspective, especially a godly perspective on everything we do instead of just doing the same old thing in the same old way. Uh, on and on and on we go when there could be a better way. We need to constantly be asking the Lord to bring people into our lives that will shake us up a little bit, that will ask us the right questions and give us, through His Spirit, the direction that we need. And sometimes change can be disruptive. Sometimes it can be a little bit painful. Sometimes it can be disheartening. How do you think Moses felt when his father-in-law said, what are you doing? Oh, well, I stand before the people and I judge them and I help them out, teach them the law of God. And then his father-in-law goes, well, that's no good. Moses, what do you mean it's no good? Well, you can't do this. This is not sustainable. This is not something that's going to really help the people in the long run. This is not something that you're going to be able to do all of the time that you're in the wilderness. What, what, you need to rethink this. Well, he was actually being a blessing to Moses and not a curse. But it probably, if Moses is like most men, he's going to be defensive about all of this instead of really getting what God may be saying to him. Now that leads me to the second point. And this is something we don't really like and we don't really like to think about. And that is 
Not only do you benefit from fresh eyes, but everybody has limitations, right? Everybody has limitations. And we think, tend to think that our limitations, well, we say, if I didn't have this limitation, like if I had a lot more money, or if I had a lot more talent or ability, if I had a network of friends, if I had, I mean, on and on we go. Man, I could really do something or be something. Well, here's point number two. Your limitations are not always a liability, are they? In fact, sometimes God can use your limitations to get you where he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do. And maybe instead of trying to do 30,000 things, maybe you focus in on two or three because of your limitations. You just can't do it all. There are some things you're supposed to do. There are some things that maybe, maybe not you are supposed to do it. And maybe you're robbing somebody of a great blessing. Maybe they would do it if you weren't. Maybe they would do it better than you're able to do it. But you're so stubborn and you're hanging on to it because this is my job, my turf, my territory. This is what I want to do and it's a good thing to do. Maybe you're actually robbing someone else of the blessing. So where do you get that out of the text? Because Jethro, his father-in-law, says, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. And this is not a good thing. And this is something that you are not able to do. Do you see that? Jethro is appealing to the fact, Moses, you're an old man. And you're just one man. And you can't do everything for all of the people. And I got to thinking about this. If you uh, take any one of us and you put us, let's say we opened up the church and let's say that everybody in the community came and they lined up for blocks and you were going to be sitting up here in a chair right up on the platform hearing every one of their marital problems, their tax problems. You're going to hear about their relationship problems with their children or their in-laws. You're going to be hearing about their financial problems. You're going to be hearing about all kinds of things that are going on from small to, to big, from uh, important to petty. And uh, some of it's going to be my neighbor's dog came over into my yard and messed up my yard. It's going to range from everything you can imagine. And you're going to be up here. And let's say you start at 8 o'clock in the morning and you go all day long until 8 o'clock at night. Now I want to ask you a question. How good do you think the advice is going to be in the morning? Well, I think when you get there in the morning, you're going to feel noble. You're going to feel called. You're going to feel responsible. You're going to feel uh, like you want to really do a good job that day. You're probably going to give some good advice. How do you think you are going to feel by 8 o'clock that night? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Moses sits in front of those people, and some of those things, he goes, well, that's a big deal. Others, he's thinking, good night, you people are so petty. You people have no common sense. You people don't remember what I taught you yesterday. You don't remember. How many times were the cases repeats that came up there? 
And so Moses has to hear this. I wonder how good the advice was in the morning. I wonder how good it was at the end of the day when he was tired, when he was worn out, when he was frustrated, when he was, um, you know, just kind of put out with the whole thing. Because after a while you hear those cases and you think, man, people are just idiots. Right? Can you imagine? What if you were the person standing in line? And what if you have a case that you need to bring before Moses and it takes you 10 hours before you get to see Moses? Are you in any shape to actually hear the advice? Are you in any shape to actually pay close attention to what the man of God is going to say? And I'm going to say no. And so Jethro says, your limitations and the people's limitations are really not a problem here. It just means we need to find a different way to do some things. We need to find a different way to uh, make sure things are happening because this is not a liability. In fact, Moses, this is going to free up your time. This is going to allow you to focus on the things that God wants you to do. And this is going to allow you to actually deal with the big cases that are worthy of your time and of your judgment. And so it's amazing here that Jethro was the one that thought of this and not Moses. And uh, so Moses is listening and he's hearing and Moses is very willing to make some uh, changes here because Moses can see that these limitations that he has are going to make him open and available for what God wants him to do because you can't do it all. That's a big thing for a lot of people to learn. And number three, there's sometimes actually is an I in team. When my kids were playing basketball, they would have t-shirts and they would say, there's no I in team. Well, yeah, there kind of is. There's a game that's going to be played tomorrow for a national championship. And I want to just say, this is going to be a guess. If you take a team like Alabama and with the success that they have, do you suppose there's anybody on that team that says to Nick Saban, I'm not coming to practice today. I mean, I don't play anyway. I'm third string. What do I matter? I'm going to go take a nap. You guys have fun. You think that person is going to remain on the team. I've got a feeling that on championship teams, they demand the very best from every player on the team. And they don't allow them to slack off. And they don't say, well, it doesn't really matter. You don't matter anyway. If you don't matter, you're dismissed from the team. That when they look at that, they say, every person is important. And when I look at this thing that Jethro has proposed for Israel, I'm saying this. The guy that is over 10 people is as important as Moses is in the judgment of those people. If he slacks off, the whole thing collapses. If the people that are over 50 go, ah, I'm only over 50 people, and eh, no big deal, let somebody else handle it, let the starters handle it, let the big guns handle it, this whole thing collapses. And that's kind of the way church is. The Bible tells us that we are a part of a body of believers. 
And if a person in the church says, well, I don't really matter, let the pastor do the soul winning, well, then we're not going to have very many people that are going to be trusting the Lord. When other people say, well, let the ministry be done by the deacons or the elders or somebody like that, then not much ministry is going to be done. If elders or deacons say, ah, it doesn't really matter what I do, I'm just going to do my own thing, then everything begins to collapse because there really is an I in teamwork. We're a part of the body of Christ. We are called into this body, and every member is important to the body of Christ for prayer, for giving, for attendance, for witnessing, for ministry, for everything that we do. Everybody matters, and everybody is supposed to be involved in all of this, not push it off for somebody else to take up the slack. Because whenever you say, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, you're actually saying, let somebody else carry my load. Let somebody else carry my burden. And that's a wicked, wicked thing to do in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a part of the body of Christ. We are called together by him. We are to serve him together. And whatever position he has given us, he is worthy of our very best. And so we pray, and so we give, and so we serve and so we attend and so we witness and so we minister and we all do it with the best of what God has given us to the extent that he has given us something in the grace and power that God has given us and when we do that God is glorified the body begins to multiply people are reached for the gospel of Christ people are ministered to people are encouraged people are prayed for people are protected and all of it begins begins to work and it works well because this is the way God has designed for it to work not just one person doing everything not just 20 percent doing 80 percent of the work but everybody in the church and in the body doing whatever it is that they are capable to do because the Bible says in Ephesians 4 but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body is joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Beloved, that is you. That is me. That is all of us giving our best for the glory of God. Whether it's a great visible thing or a small behind the scene things, it doesn't matter. It is for the Lord. And we do our best and we give our best for Him. And that brings us to number four. And that is this. Be rigid in your goals and flexible in your methods. You see, if Moses was like a typical Baptist, it wouldn't really matter if the goal was met as long as he was happy with the method. And so many times we just say, well, I like this. Well, this is the way that I want to do it. And the goal be hanged. We don't really ever fulfill the Great Commission. We don't really make disciples. We don't do anything, but we're happy in what we're doing because we're doing it our way and the way we like it. And we better change. And we better look and say, what is it that God has commanded us to do? 
What is it that glorifies God the most? And if we're not getting that done, then our methods can always be changed, but the goal must never be compromised. The goal of reaching a world for Christ, the goal of witnessing to every creature, the goal of making disciples and teaching them all things that Christ has commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that can never change. We can have services any time, but the goal must not ever change. The way that we do things can change, but the goals must never change. But for far too long, many people, especially Baptists, have been so content in doing everything in a rigid, legalistic manner and let the goal be compromised. We must stop and we must say, the methods can change but the goal never changes. And the goal was that the people here would be prayed for, that they would be taught the word of God, the laws of God, and that they would know how to live and that they would have examples to follow. And nothing, 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 nothing could ever stop that. So I want to ask you to think about these kind of things in your own life, whether it be in your parenting whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your finances, whether it be in your prayer life, whether it be in your Bible study, whether it be in your stewardship, whatever it might be, are you rigid in the goals of glorifying and honoring God? Or are you just rigid in the method and the goal never is reached? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you the kind of church member that you ought to be? Are you the kind of disciple that you ought to be? Are you really honoring and obeying Christ in everything that you do? And so I just want to propose some questions here as we finish up. Number one, do we try to do things that we are not capable of doing and rob others of the blessings uh, let me back up. Got ahead of myself here. Do we realize the benefit of others' perspectives in our life? Or do we basically say to people, you're not involved in this. I don't want to hear from you. Bug off and don't try to give me any kind of help or insight or anything like that. A lot of people do. They don't see it. And do we try to do things that we're not capable of doing and rob other people of blessings? There may be somebody else God has called to do that thing you stubbornly hang on to. And maybe you don't want to change. Maybe you don't want to work in a different place or minister in a different place. And yet that may be exactly what God wants. Do we do our part with diligence or do we force others to take up our slack? Do we do our part with diligence? Not just half-heartedly. Not just doing it just because no one else will do it. But doing it as a calling and doing it with diligence. Or are we forcing others to take up our slack? And do we get stuck in our methods so much that we fail to reach the goal? Are we failing are you someone who leads other people to Christ? Are you someone who shares the gospel? Are you leaving it to someone else? Are you putting on your armor and fighting the battle? 
Are you leaving that to someone else? Are you reaching out to other people and ministering to them? Or do you just assume that somebody else will do it? Let George do it. It doesn't really matter whether I do anything or not. Or do you understand that everything a child of God matters? Jesus said, even to give a cup of cold water in my name. Anybody can do that. But you got to think. And you got to be diligent. And you got to be available in order to do those kind of things. Or you'll be the kind of Christian that just says, ah, somebody else will do it. And because it's something that anybody could do, nobody gets around to doing it. And as long as it doesn't disrupt our lives, we're happy with it. Whether God is glorified or not, whether souls are saved or not, whether people are encouraged or not, and the Bible is calling on us, all of us, all of us, to do our share, to do our part, whether it's great or whether it's little, we do it all for the glory of God and in the power and strength of his name. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer as we conclude? Father, we want to ask you to forgive us for laziness. We want to ask you to forgive us because there are some people that have so much pride that if they can't be at the front and they can't be the head of everything, they're not interested in it. There are other people that should be in the front and yet all they ever want to do is just kind of be in the back and do the small things. Lord, what we're saying is we want to be willing, every one of us, to do whatever it is that you want us to do, seen or unseen, big or small. But whatever we want to do, we want to do it with diligence for the glory of God. And so we're asking you to forgive us of our sin. We're asking you to change us. And we're asking you to make us the people that we ought to be so that the church can be what she ought to be, so that Christ receives the glory and honor that he ought to receive. And this is what we pray. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to touch us, lead us, guide us, convict us, encourage us, and empower us for whatever it is that we're supposed to do. May today be the beginning of change for the better in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your time.